Welcome to a special Memorial Day weekend recording of Fish Bites. My name is Danny Martinez, and I'm excited for today. Number one, thank you to all of our military personnel, the family members of anyone that has served. Thank you for what you do, and thank you for your sacrifice. I also thank our listeners. Thank you for the continuous engagement that you've given us, the continuous feedback. I'm going to continue stating that I want more of it. I also want more questions. We've reached uh, show number six, and we're starting to be able to hit all of the questions that you've sent in. I want to be able to make sure that we will always have continuous questions. So the same way that you've emailed, the same way that you've sent me messages, continue to do so so that we can keep um, almost restocking that inventory of questions. We're going to have a lot of fun today. We're going to have a lot of fun today because first we get to talk about the Marlins winning, which is something we haven't been able to do um, quite some time, quite frankly, all year, really. We're going to talk a little bit about some Twitter drama that a lot of the listeners engaged in. Um, and actually, I, you know, thank you for standing by my side in some of the circumstances. And we'll, we'll dive into that. We're going to discuss this, this Memorial Weekend in baseball is kind of an unofficial milestone or an unofficial mark in the campaign where you take assessment of where your ball club is. And in the case of a rebuilding team, where the players are that we're looking for in the future. So we're going to take an assessment there and we're going to hit a dialogue question that I think um, really fit in our conversation during a rebuild, which was Danny, who do you think is the future face of the team, the future face of the franchise? So we're going to have a lot to discuss about, but as always, we're going to start off with our pitcher performance of the week. And, we're going to go with the major league system and stick with Trevor Richards. He was at Detroit. He went five, two thirds, only allowed one run, struck out six, which was nice to see one walk. And quite frankly, it was just all weak contact. Uh, you know, middle, middle, because that's actually when it's at its best. Hitters want to go after it and it starts to bottom out. See the high fastball there ends this at bat. Well, that'll work too. 93 on the Marlins side. Of course, the Marlins playing great baseball right now, but after the last couple of innings where you felt like they should have scored a couple of runs, it falls on Richards. Called strike three. Fifth strikeout for Richards. Double plays in their last 21 games. They won't need it there as Richards gets the strikeout going upstairs on Griner, his sixth. Valiant effort, but ran into a little too much trouble here in the sixth. He got into that sixth inning. I think it was a single and then a double. And then they intentionally walked Miggy Cabrera, and it was a sacrifice fly. That's the only run that was scored. And then they took him out, which is why he couldn't finish the six. But it was nice to see him continue the trend that we saw during this win, win streak of young pitchers performing and being able to really take a lineup and manipulate what they're doing with it multiple times in the order, which is something that we're going to talk about and something that we were not able to see Sandy and Pablo replicate after their successful starts earlier in the week. So we're going to dissect that a little bit. But Trevor Richards, a great start. It was nice to see that from him. He had kind of fallen back. The other uh, younger arms were really starting to impress. And Trevor Richards, you know, our hashtag babyface aces had a couple of rough outings or subpar outings rather. So it was good to see him come back and really put out a strong performance in Detroit. I think that was actually the last game that that, that they won to finish off the six-game win streak. 
On the position side, trending players, I'm actually going to name three, and then we're not going to dive too far into them at the moment um, because we're going to talk a little bit more about what was working in the winning streak, which in part were these three players. There's not going to be any surprise here. Harold Ramirez has been excellent since his promotion. All right. In Earning Their Stripes podcast, again, myself, Ethan and Ian continuously ad nauseum talked and spoke about how Harold Ramirez needed to be promoted, about how impressive it was what he was doing. Well, he gets promoted, and since his promotion, his slash average is 353, on base is 389, and his slugging is 500. But it's not even the numbers. It's just, it's this beautiful scenario where the eye test really aligns itself well with the numbers. Turnbull has been very good for the Tigers. He really has. Out to right, Castellanos turns around and goes! First home run in the career of Harold Ramirez. A line drive to the opposite field, three to one. You look at him and he just looks like he knows what he's doing at the plate. And quite frankly, it's because he does. He's always been that prospect. And, and you know, two or three podcasts ago, I gave you his story. The fact that it is a 24-year-old who had a knee injury. He was a top 100 prospect. The Blue Jays somewhat gave up on him, that he was never going to regain that form. And the Marlins and Harold Ramirez took a shot on each other. He took less money to be here than other clubs were offering him. And it's paid off. His story has always been that he's a competent hitter. The story has always been that he has good bat-to-ball contact, and you see it. You see it in his approach when he's at the plate. Quite frankly, some of our younger developing prospects, and you know the, the example really is always Lewis Brinson. You would love to see Sweet Lou come up and have that type of approach that Harold Ramirez has been able to show. He goes the other way, the other way, the other way. His stance kind of speaks to that as well. He lays off of pitches out of the strike zone. I also, again, give credit to the stance for that. But it's also it's simply about approach. So tip of the cap to Harold Ramirez. I'm happy that everything we were speaking about on Earning Their Stripes is coming into fruition. I'm happy that he got his promotion, which was more, um, you know, more than, than anticipated and more than deserved and that he's doing something with it. The other two individuals that I'll highlight here are Brian Anderson and George Alfaro. Both of them have shown that they, number one, can come off of a slump. Because last time we had a recording, they were slumping relatively, um, relatively badly. They were in the worst slumps that I would peg them in, in their entire career, and although, albeit young, and they just decided to wake up. Their approach changed. Anderson has three homers over the last week. He's slugging well over 500. He's slugging 615. Alfaro, two homers, slugging 658. And they're getting on base. Alfaro is taking walks. Anderson has always been someone who could get on base even when he's not hitting, except that this year his approach looked um, significantly different than last year. And, and my opinion of that is because his pitchers are pitching to him differently. They realize the bat that he has. They realize that he's not just another tertiary uh, you know, prospect that's coming up. The guy can hit, and he showed that last year, being in the NL Rookie of the Year race with the phenoms like Soto and Acuna. They pitched him differently. Sophomore slumps happen because the league now has an assessment of who you are at the major league level. They've been pitching him out of the zone. He hasn't been able to lay off as often. However, we saw it in this last week that he still is the uh, 
the developmental player, because he's still young, both of him and Alfaro and Ramirez, that the Marlins would expect and that many of us see in him. He has been able to show that power. He has been able to get back on base. The hope is that, of course, it continues. But if you're looking for three players and in an ideal world, you want three players to show that they belong, it is most definitely Harold Demers, Brian Anderson, and George Offero. So it's nice to see that happening. They are the reason that the Marlins, at least partly, were able to go on a win streak. The other reason for that was that hopefully, right, hopefully what you saw working was a glimpse into the future of what the Marlins rebuild can do. So what do I mean by that? Well, we've spoken at it over and over again that the Marlins will win or will eventually compete via their pitching and then help on the offensive side, but it's not going to be a a pro-offensive type of team. That's what we saw in the win streak. What you saw in the win streak was dominant performances from Sandy Alcantara, from Pablo Lopez, from Trevor Richards, from Jose Urania as well, and of course, your weekly phenomenal start from Caleb Smith. And yet the difference here were the young offensive players because the pitching had been performing at a relatively acceptable top half of the league performance, even when the Marlins were 10 and 31 or whatever the case may be. But the offense simply wasn't there, right? We were on track to a historically bad offensive productive year. And then all of a sudden something clicked. What it was, was again, that brief glimpse into what the future may hold. Now, Make no mistake, when you're talking about players that are 22, 23, 24, 25, even 26, you are talking about players before their prime. There's this misconception now that um, that because an Acuna Jr. or because this prospect phenoms come up, all of a sudden the average age of, of individuals hitting their prime is, is younger. That's not the case, not at all. Prime in baseball has always been 27, 28, 29, 30, and then it takes a big dip. None of the Miami Marlins players are in their prime or should be in their prime at the moment. Most, if not all, of the young players that we're looking at on the pitching side as well as in the hitting side have only one to two to two and a half years under their belt at the major league level, which means that we're going to see inconsistencies. We're going to see Pablo Lopez and Sandy have weeks like the week that they had this last week where they come off of a dominant start and then they can't get out of the fifth. Inconsistencies in young pitchers in particular is going to happen. Inconsistencies in young hitters also going to happen. The hope is that as they develop, the hope is as they enter their prime, they have honed in on the tools and skills that allow them to go out and be consistent. A a very simple to see example of this is Lopez. And by now we've seen the pattern of the one inning that gets away. A veteran pitcher can feel that he doesn't have his stuff and be able to adjust and amend his goal against a certain hitter, go back onto his secondaries and still use them effectively without having to um, work outside of the strike zone and give up too many walks. But a younger pitcher, 23, 24, will have difficulties with that. We see that across the major leagues. That is a good example of what you want to pay attention to moving forward. Does Pablo Lopez find himself in that inning of doom 
but be able to get away from it and then survive. And, and if you continue to look back at his game logs, it's always what's, but it's been what's happening. He has one inning of doom. And if he has enough uh, durability, if he feels good enough, he comes out again the following inning and he's fine. Or he'll even rack up another two, three innings perfectly fine. But that one inning, his stuff, his feel got away from him. The other side, Sandy then has some difficulties simply striking out hitters. Because if he doesn't have the feel for his fastball on the corner, his secondaries aren't developed enough right now to be pitching them for strikeout pitches. So he induces a lot of weak contact. That's something we saw early on in the year, and it's still something that's happening now. But at some point, 98 is going to get smacked to center field when you're facing a major league hitter. If you're not able to touch the black, if you're not able to work around the corners and you're forced to go inside, you're not going to fool anyone with that. These are all things that come with age. These are all things that hopefully the Marlins are obviously aware of. Aware of I'm sure they are. The pitchers are very aware of. I'm sure they are. And that on the offensive side, the things like swinging out of the zone, things like not having a good approach at the plate, not understanding what's happening, moving the runner over, whatever the case may be, again, will come with development and will come with age. I'm not saying anything that's rocket science, but it's it's something I almost am forced to say because so many people get on these 22, 23, 24-year-olds, 25-year-olds, and expect them to be the consistent 27, 28-year-old veterans that we hope to one day be. So if that's not the case, what should we take solace in? Well, what we should take solace in is that when they clicked this last week, you finally saw what the Marlins envisioned moving forward. And it's funny, a couple of people uh, tweeted it out. It's interesting how a few wins suddenly make the plan look that much clearer. Absolutely, it makes the plan look that much clearer. Because now individuals are seeing what individuals, and I'll be honest, like myself, who don't care about the win-loss at the moment in this year of the rebuild. I don't care if they're winning or they're losing. We could see what was happening. We could see what should be happening. We could see the FIP instead of the ERA. We can see the approach instead of the situation of the win or the loss or however the game implodes. But yes, the fact that now they were winning, now we can see the fact that Anderson has a good approach at the plate. We can now pay attention to Alfaro and his power. We can look at a Pablo Lopez or Sandy Alcantara and say, there are some fielding issues that, that, that were happening behind them. There are some control issues, but we can see where it's going. This win streak was beautiful, not because they won six games. The win streak was beautiful because you got a glimpse to what the future might hold. Are they going to win six out of nine when they're in their prime? I mean, I don't know. But possibly. And I'll add this. This is with the understanding that the Marlins have Harold Ramirez up, Brian Anderson up, and Jorge Alfaro. Those are the three pieces that you're looking at offensively, although I would also include Garrett Cooper in there, but he's a little older. But those are the pieces that you're looking at offensively. Imagine the excitement when Isan Diaz, who is lighting up the minor leagues right now, I believe he hit recent, just right now his fifth home run in a row, five home runs in five games. Monta Harrison also lighting up the minor leagues. And Lewis Brinson playing extremely well in the minor leagues, although that shouldn't come as a surprise. Someone of his caliber should be able to do that. We have to see it generalized at the major league level. Tomorrow, go ahead and log in on Earning Their Stripes. We're going to have a conversation about that. 
about what we would do with those three individuals in minor leagues. When you promote them, how you would promote them, do you promote them together? Whatever the case is. Imagine when those three then added to the lineup, give you six deep, give you seven deep in the lineup of in August of this year, September of this year. Then you're really going to start to be able to see that glimpse of the future. What many people cast off as just blind hope, what many, many people cast off as just blind positive or positivity, you're going to be able to now see actually develop in front of you because they're coming. They're coming, and when they come, the pitching will still be here. If not, it'll even be better with a Zach Gallen called up or Jordan Yamamoto, who also was uh, will be uh, tomorrow log in. He's interviewed, so he's going to be a part of our podcast tomorrow and earning their stripes. He joined us for an interview. You're going to be able to see that plan in focus instead of just having to have this nuanced idea of what it could look like. Now, for the drama. When the Marlins went on their win streak, uh, I sent out a tweet towards the end, which kind of purposefully pointed fun at the win-loss mentality that circulates around the Marlins. It, 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 it read like this. It said, on May 22, 2017, with the worst-ranked farm system in baseball, but of course with Stanton, Yellis, Ozuna, JT, and D, Gordon, the Marlins were 15 wins to 28 losses. On May 23rd, 2019, this year, the same Marlins, right now, the current Marlins, with a top 13 farm system, soon to be top 10 after the draft, are 16 and 31. In 2017, pre-rebuild, awful farm system, all of those superstars, 15 wins, 28 losses. May 23rd of this year, top 13 farm system, soon to be top 10, 16 wins, 31 losses. Now, Twitter decided to have a lot of fun with that, really just two or three people. Because the mentality of that tweet really was, like I said, to poke a little bit of fun at the win-loss campaign. The fact that we cry very much so over, you know, separation and however it happened, we all know the conversation that takes place around the rebuild with those players. And yet, two years later, with a much better organizational outlook, the current team has one more win than that team did on the same date. Now, many people decided to take issue with this. Now, again, not really. Like, three people decided to take issue with this, but very loud three people. Oh, well, Danny's just being blind. Danny's just being a mouthpiece. Danny is just being too positive. Danny is X, Y, and Z. And, and for a lot of you that are listening, many of you came out to my defense, and I appreciate that. I really do appreciate the love. It was very well fe felt. Um, I, I appreciate you guys coming out for me and saying all the things that you said. But the point really stands. Even if you consider that the, the situation is only lateral movement, I much rather have the situation that they have now. Both teams were awful. Both teams were awful. Win-loss record, right? That's what you guys care about. Win-loss record, both teams were awful. One doesn't have $700 million of debt, 400 on the business side, and 300 with Stanton's contract. And one doesn't have the worst farm system in baseball. Give me, give me that one. Give me the present team that has about to be a top 10 farm system in baseball and actually has financial flexibility. Forget what we want to talk about 
with the the rebuild. We can talk about the good moves and the bad moves. We can talk about um, what dra- what has to happen with the drafting, with development, the issues that they've had. That's fine. You want to have that conversation? We can have it. That's not an issue. But at point blank range, give me the team that has a future over the team that doesn't. Especially when in this win streak, we saw why the future might be a lot brighter than individuals give credit for. The second piece, like I mentioned before, Memorial Weekend is usually a good time to check in. It's a good time to check in if your team is a playoff team where you are in the standings. If your team is a team that you hope to be in the World Series, what pieces do we need to add over the next month and a half to be able to solidify the roster? For the Marlins, the, the, the reality is that you're in a rebuild. And in a rebuild, there's really two frames of thought. One, how are our veterans doing so that we can, the veterans that are on one-year deals, so we could likely move them at the trade deadline and get value back? And two, how is the future core performing, both at the major league level and at the minor league level? Now, for the minor league level, log into earning their stripes. We're going to talk about it tomorrow. But for the major league level, let's have that discussion. Number one, I'll say this. For those that have asked us questions about uh, the trade deadline and the trade deadline, as as soon as we get closer to the trade deadline, I'm going to have a special on that. The entire um, 45 minutes to an hour will be about players that I would target, players that might fit a need moving forward, and the players, obviously, that will be let go or traded away. But just as a brief thought at the moment, I would probably say Jose Urania is gone. I would likely say Starlin Castro gets moved. I would imagine Neil Walker gets moved as well. Sergio Romo. And then we'll have to see moving forward if if Curtis Granderson demands um, any value moving back or whatever the case may be. What I will also add is that I think think they're going to focus on international spending. So I think that they're going to try to get some pieces back for international money to spend on the international market, which makes so much sense. And and like I said, should have been happening for years. And then, of course, they're going to focus on bats. That would be my mentality. That would be what I would expect. I would think Jose Urania could bring back uh, a solid amount of value. The same with Neil Walker, the way he's performing. But again, that'll be for a special. We'll dive into that at a later date. But what about the value of the players that might be here in the future? The Marlins have, and this is, you know, uh, war, and I use fan graphs, so F war. War is very dynamic. It'll change from a day to day, not drastically, of course, but of course, the information I'm giving you is just from right now. They have 10 players playing above replacement level. So war is wins above replacement. It basically says, how good are you in comparative to the replacement level, the random replacement level in the major leagues? A minor leaguer comes up to you and plays at this level. Are you performing better than them? Are you uh, providing more value for your team or less? Or are you no different if a random minor leaguer came and replaced you? That's a very brief elementary way of, of describing it. But basically, it looks at value. Okay? Zero is average. And for instance, Mike Trout at the moment is like a 3.2 something at war value. 3.2. This is dynamic. Trout will end up, you know with a higher rate, a higher uh, F war towards the end of the year, but it's just to give you an example. The Marlins have 10 players at the moment playing above replacement level, so playing above a 0.0 F war. Eight of them are future pieces. This is where you should listen and just take a second and say, oh, that feels good. 
because then the players that are actually doing something showing that they might be something someday, the vast majority of those players are the players that we're actually looking for to do something and be something someday. On the offensive side, Anderson and Alfaro lead the charge. They both have a 0.6 war. 0.6 war. Harold Ramirez, in his young time already, and this will happen when you have the slash that I shared with you earlier, and even with playing out of position in the defensive miscues, is ready at a 0.3. Those are the three young offensive guys that you're looking at and saying, okay, they're playing above replacement level, even though at this early in the campaign and at those numbers, I'm not saying that there's anything extraordinary about what they're doing, but they're playing around what you would expect them to be. On the pitching side, Caleb Smith is at a 1.4. Lopez is at a 0.7. Urania is at a 0.6. Sandy's at a 0.5. And then you have Nick Anderson and Richards at 0.3 and 0.2. Those are the players right now playing above replacement level. And it's beautiful to see so many of them being the guys that you want to, at some point, call your core. To give you a little bit more perspective on what those numbers are, because I understand that 0.3, Danny, 0.6, what does that even mean? Okay, George Alfaro is the fifth-ranked catcher in the National League. That gives you perspective. Brian Anderson is the ninth-ranked third baseman in the National League. Now, Brian Anderson has the same war as Alfaro, but Anderson's position is just loaded with talent, whether it's Machado, whether it's Arenado, whether it's Chris Bryant, just loaded with talent up and down. Mustakas has, has a split time at third as well. Players that are going to drop over in the value, but then understand this. At a young age, Brian Anderson is already showing that he can compete with the best. And this is after, again, both Alfaro and Anderson having awful two weeks slumping. Neil Walker's the 10th rated first baseman, and he's going to be someone that, again, is going to be mentioned in the trade deadline. On the pitching side, Caleb Smith is the number one left-handed pitcher in the NL. Pablo Lopez is the number 24 right-handed pitcher in the NL. And before 24 seems really great or not great, let's put it into perspective. You have 15 teams in the NL. You have five pitchers per rotation. A majority are typically right-handed. So being 24 in the, in, the, in the National League is actually relatively good. Jose Urania is 31, Alcantara is 33, Richards is 36. You have all of your starting pitchers in the top 36 in their position. It's a beautiful thing to see. Alfaro top five, and then Anderson ninth. What you're seeing there are individuals showing that they are going to be a part of the future if they continue their developmental trajectory. There's no doubt. No doubt at all that that could change. It could. Alfaro's, Alfaro's uh, inability to stay within the strike zone. Catchers, or rather pitchers, can start framing so that he's outside of the strike zone, continue having him swinging, just deplete, and the, the, no exit velocity in the world is going to do anything if you can't make contact. Anderson, the, the playbook might be out on him already. If he's going to continue pressing and he's also going to start swinging out of the zone, Keep giving it to him. No one's going to protect him in this lineup anyway, whether we believe that that's protective factors or not. And yet, I don't feel like that. I don't believe that George Alfaro and Brian Anderson are going to be anything less in their primes than they are right now. 
So if the worst, if the worst that Brian Anderson and George Alfaro are in their primes is the fifth ranked catcher in baseball or in the NL and the ninth third baseman in the NL, then I'm okay with that. But they won't be because they're 25, 26, not entering their prime yet. It's a positive thing when we're looking at these young players in a rebuilding developmental year show that they can stick around. Now, when you add Monte and Isan and Brinson to that category, and when they're up here, whenever that time may come, then you're really talking about that glimpse of the future that we discussed earlier. But talking about the glimpse of the future, then let's go into the dialogue question. The dialogue question that was sent my way was an interesting one. It was, um, you know, who are the Marlins faces of the franchise moving forward? And for me, it's a relatively simple way of looking at it. I, I, I say this. Number one, any free agent that comes, of course, is going to be a face of the franchise, right? Let's say that this offseason, they go get Jose Abreu from the Chicago White Sox. They place him at first. You have a Cuban first baseman. They spent money to get him here. He's going to be someone who's the face of the franchise. It works that he's Cuban. It works that he's a slugger. It works that it's free agency. And when you spend money to bring someone over, you're going to spend money to market them. So any free agency addition of value, right? Someone who is obviously recognizable, that's the cheap answer that I could give you. Jose Abreu, if, if you know, 2021, 2022, they go after Francisco Lindor, you better believe he's going to be the face of the franchise. But I'm assuming very safely this is not what the person that sent this in meant. They meant internally. So to me, if, I, if I'm not talking about a free agent, I'm talking about internally, I think that there's two ways to become a face of a franchise. The first way is just pure talent. The second way is there's something marketable about that person. And the third way is the pie in the sky, the perfect combination, the Jose Fernandez, who has the talent and has the marketability. So if the question is, who is going to be the face of the franchise like Jose Fernandez, I have bad news for you because I don't believe that'll happen again. Jose was the perfect combination of absolute ace material, top shelf, top tier talent, and an easy personality to love. He was Cuban. Um, you know, even in that situation, even in the Cuban conversation, he didn't have some of the question marks surrounding him about what some of the players now might have that dissented from Cuba, which is you're in a very anti-Castro type of thinking here in South Florida, but some of these players necessarily aren't. They're just Cuban. That's a question that's been surrounded around some of the players, and I won't name anyone, right? But are they as marketable if they are okay with the Castro regime, if they aren't? But either way, we're going to go with, well, Cuban, it works in Miami. Jose Fernandez was perfect. But we're not going to have a Jose Fernandez. So then what do we have? I'll, I'll, say, I'll say from the personality standpoint, if Monte Harrison even becomes an average big league player, which I believe he will, he will be better than average. That's your face. You don't get much better personality-wise than Monte Harrison. You know, fan-wise, fan engagement. He was amazing when we interviewed him on earning their stripes. It just an incredibly intelligent, kind, thoughtful, genuine person who has a lot of confidence and a lot of swag, honestly. I hate using that word, but it's the truth. I hate using because everyone overuses it. But it's the truth. You look at him and he has he's just dripping with confidence and with style. 
And he spoke about that in the interview, why he dresses the way he does, why he accessorizes the way he does. So go ahead and listen to it. But he's also talented. Now, for the pure talented, oh, man, you better believe that when Sixto Sanchez comes up, what is it they're calling it on, on, on Twitter, Noche de, de Sixto? You better believe that people are going to show up. Because here's what you might not understand about Sixto Sanchez yet. If he stays healthy, because there will always, always be questions about shorter starting pitchers who throw 98, if they're durable, if they can maintain um, that type of velocity and that type of wear and tear on their arm. But if he can, there's a reason he gets compared to Pedro Martinez. And I'll be frank. I remember a lot of individuals not even liking Pedro Martinez very much, and that's not just Yankee fans, even individuals in Red Sox Nation. But the talent was so special. The talent was so top shelf that it was so easy to market him because everyone wanted to see him pitch every fifth night. And that would be the same thing with Sixto Sanchez. It would be the same thing with Sixto Sanchez. It would be the same thing with a lot of the pitchers that are coming up that have that ace potential. Pitchers that are performing, again, every night that you go onto the affiliates, you're going to see some pitcher. We had like back-to-back no-hitters through the seventh inning this last week. Trevor Rogers, whether it's Braxton Gare, whether it's Jordan Holloway, whether it's Edward Cabrera, if you want marketability, it's going to be the pitching staff. If you want personality, it's going to be the Monte Harrisons of the world. It's going to be the Isan Diaz that you look at him, again, that Robinson Cano swing, that, that kindness about him, but a little bit of swagger, and he has the talent. Louis Brinchin is someone who could still be the face of the franchise. There's no doubt that he could. Local kid, really nice, really genuine again. Of course, he's had his struggles. We understand that. But what stops him at, again, only six months older than the average rookie from coming up later this year, going and showing the tools that he's had before. And when you're talking about a local product and you're talking about a nice, genuinely nice individual face of the franchise. And then you start to think about the Cuban element. Victor Victor Mesa could easily become someone who is the face of the Miami Marlins. Victor Mesa Jr. can easily become someone who is the face of the Miami Marlins. See, the catch with the Marlins is that there's a lot of options. It's just about them getting here. It's about the fan base having patience while they're not here yet. It's about understanding that if we have to look at the box score for the New Orleans Baby Cakes, which is the AAA affiliates of the Marlins, to see the future every single night, Monte Harrison, Isan Diaz, now Lewis Brinson, or if it's Zach Gallen, whoever the case is, is lighting up the box score for you. It is to have the patience that your face of the franchise isn't quite ready yet and isn't here. Now, as for individuals that are here, you can make a case that George Alfaro could be the face of the franchise. He's extremely marketable. He's on pace to almost double. His, his, uh, his career home run rate this year. He's Hispanic. He's, he has, when he, he speaks, he has that leadership quality about him. When you meet him, he's one of the nicest people around. And he's good. He's good. 
And what he's good at is, is he's is he's flashy. He has the cannon arm. And when he hits the ball, it goes 150 miles an hour. A little bit of an exaggeration, but really not that far off. He's, he's Exit velocity is like in the 90s, high 90s. This is someone that you could build around and someone who can immediately, again, at a young age, he's already immediately the fifth highest ranked um, catcher in the National League, which for what it's worth, he was even better last year. But obviously he had his struggles this year. That's someone who could easily be the face of the, of the franchise. And then that's without even mentioning someone like what I like to resemble the, the Mike Lowell effect. Mike Lowell had a lot of elements going to his game as well. He was Hispanic. He engaged with the fan base. But something that was always overlooked with him is that he was so incredibly consistent. When you put on a Marlins game during that era, you knew that Lowell was going to get you on base, that Lowell was going to play his, his normal defense at third, that he was going to smile while he was doing it. There was something elegant about Mike Lowell's tenure with the Marlins. Wasn't flashy wasn't overly loud, but he got the job done. Who does that remind you of? I mean, my answer is simple, Brian Anderson. Brian Anderson is someone who you might not choose right, as the marketing capital if you're coming into the Marlins. But man, he's going to be consistent with you. Every time you put on the game, he's going to play above average defense at third. And if they put him to right field, he's going to play above average defense there. He's going to go up to the bat. He's going to take his walk. He's going to lean into a few. Already he's on, on pace to out-homer his career high from last year. This is someone who you could look at and say, that's your Michael. Do you need your Dontrell Willis? Yes. Do you need your Miggy Cabrera? Yes. Do you need your more highly marketable players, but having yourself your Mike Lowell is a good start? Now, I listed a whole bunch. I listed individuals in the minor league. I, I listed individuals in, you know, the major league. I gave you a whole bunch of reasons. It was a very political answer. But that's a testament to something. The face of the franchise can come from anyone. The face of the franchise can be a prospect in the minor leagues right now that you've never heard of, who develops the way that he should and has a good head on his shoulders. The face of the franchise can be Sixto Sanchez, it could be Victor Victor Mesa, it could be Victor Mesa's uh, little brother, it could be Brian Anderson, it could be George Alfaro, it could be the pitching staff, because the Marlins have done a good job, and I know in South Florida we bring up this culture talk with you know, the Heat and with the Dolphins. I won't try to mimic the culture talk. I'll just say that the Miami Marlins have given you a lot of options to like. That the players want to be here. And that when they perform. And when they get that call up. And when you're seeing a lineup of Anderson and Diaz and Monte and Ramirez and Alfaro. Brinson. On and on you go. You're going to remember when we had that conversation about the face of the franchise, when you had that conversation about wins and losses, maybe not being the most important thing. And we're going to begin to appreciate the fact that they've built something that we can again enjoy. All right. Next week, I am going to have George Alvarado. George is an awesome fan. 
And he's someone that I engage with often on Twitter and, and through private message. One of the nicest guys that you can talk to uh, in Marlins fandom. He's going to come on. If In case you want to look up for his Twitter, his Twitter is at Jeezy in the house. So J-E-E-Z-Y in the house. Just a really nice guy. I'm really excited. He has a lot of different perspectives to share. He has a lot of good conversations that we're going to be able to bring into play. And I know that you're going to genuinely enjoy it because I promise you from the bottom of my heart, anytime I have a good conversation with him, a good baseball conversation, I leave a little bit more enthused and a little bit more excited about what it is that I do. So make sure to go follow him again. It's George at Jeezy in the house on Twitter. I look forward to having you all here next week as well. Again, enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. Thank you for all of you that have served. We love you. Make sure you like and subscribe wherever podcasts are, for, are found. And as always, go fish.